Hey friends, welcome to Wild Confidence Podcast, where we help one another find, keep, and share our confidence in Christ. I'm your host, Ainsley B. It's an honor to bring you some inspiring conversations with amazing guests. Before we hear today's conversation, I want to kindly ask if you'd leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who might like it. I'd also love to connect on Instagram, so find me at Ainsley B. Okay, I can't wait anymore. Let's get to know our guest. Sarah, aka The Corporate Mama, is a shopper, marketing director by day, content creator by night, and, as her account name might suggest, a mom of two during all 24 hours. Amassing a combined following of nearly 375,000, she has focused on creating content that aims to help her millennial moms hack the complex lifestyle that is motherhood and a full-time career. You may have seen her featured by Yahoo News, Girlboss, Phenomenal, or US Weekly, and you can find her on all platforms at The Corporate Mama. Let's hear from Sarah. Sarah Steele, welcome back to Wild Confidence. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm sleepy. <laughs> Me too. It's been a week. Yeah, we'll make it through. So you're actually the first repeat guest that I have Ooh. ever had. That's exciting. Which is appropriate since we talk almost every day. So it just feels, it feels right. And I'm also the podcast's biggest fan, so. <laughs> and you're definitely the biggest supporter for sure which I appreciate <laughs> of my life in general, probably not just the podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So I was thinking about you for this podcast because I was like, okay, how many times have I gone into a work interview or just been in a job that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know how to feel about certain situations and scenarios So I was asking some of my Insta friends what they would ask you in the corporate world or just in like, you know, a job or something like that, because you are the corporate mama on TikTok, Instagram. Yep. TikTok and Instagram. The corporate mama. So I obviously know what you do and um, the answers to probably some of these questions, but these are from the people themselves. Please share what you do and how did you discover that's what you wanted to do? Sure. So the way I think of it, I have three things that I do, um, during the week, kind of my nine to five, which is sometimes more like eight to eight is I work full-time in shopper marketing in the consumer packaged goods industry. So I develop marketing plans that support the company that I work for and how we go to market in retailers. So that is everything from packaging and what you see on products to marketing and support plans to how things come to life in a store through a display or some type of interactive signage um, in a a retailer. So really just trying to drive trial and introduce new brands that I care about to customers as they become shoppers in stores. And then my second job that I now am starting to consider a job, but still a concept I'm getting used to is um, content creation. So creating content. Yes. It takes a lot of time. I'm t- creating content for TikTok primarily, but I'm also 
getting pretty into sharing content on Instagram and engaging with my followers and community there through, you know, Q and A's or um, question boxes and polls and that kind of stuff for people who are either entering the workplace, have been in the workplace a long time and are looking to make a shift or possibly becoming working parents. Um, and I use working parents as parents who happen to be paid for their job. Um, all parents work, but when I say working parents, that's who I mean is people who have a, a day job um, along with, with parenting. And then parenting is really my third one. So, you know, nine to five, I'm doing marketing. At night, I'm doing content creation, but 24-7, I am a mom to two wild and rambunctious little boys. And super cute. Super cute. Super crazy. Super cute little boys who mm-hmm. I love so much. Um, so how did you discover that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. So in college, I actually went through like a, an eat, pray, love moment, minus all of the travel, but definitely including all of the food. And I changed my major twice. I, I went to college thinking that I was going to study computer programming. I had taken AP programming in high school, got to college and very quickly realized I had no desire to do that with my life. So I switched to business because it seemed like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Business sounds something that I hear a lot about. And I cried through my first two accounting classes and thought, this isn't for me either. This is not how I'm going to spend my life. And I kind of stumbled my way into um, the journalism college. I studied uh, journalism and had an emphasis in public relations and advertising. So that's technically um, part of what I'm doing today, but my passion for my job specifically related to shopping really grew over time um, as I graduated from college and moved through a few different jobs throughout my career, all related to marketing in some way or another. But I find the job that I have now relays so heavily on consumer insights and research and understanding the why behind mm-hmm. people buy things and then getting to come up with a way to convince them to maybe try or buy something else. So I'm, I have ADHD. I'm all over the place with a lot of things and I'm always taking digital courses or classes or, or wishing I knew something else. So there are days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I wish I've been a, I wish I would have been a psychiatrist or something where my job now, I still get to touch some of those things by working on insights and research and trying to understand what makes people tick. And then the fun part of building a marketing plan. And then it's all related to shopping and I love shopping. So here I am. I love shopping too. Honestly, it sounds every time I think about what you do, I'm like, that sounds honestly super cool and like super fun to think. Of. It doesn't sound like a real job, right? Like someone's walking down the grocery store aisle. Fun fact, people spend about 12 seconds at the shelf looking at everything that's available to them from an option. So how do I make someone stop at my particular part of the aisle, get them to look at my box, pick it up, look at the back and then put it in their basket in 12 seconds. It's kind of like a fun it's like a little game. Yeah. When I was thinking it remind, and this is, it's so different, but it reminds me of um, something in my last salary job that Mm -hmm. we thought about was the experience of the student coming to church um, from site to seat to street, maybe, or 
something like that, where it's like, what are the impressions and how do you get them to be attracted to this idea? And what is their overall general experience? Which it sounds like um, that is a lot of the drive behind getting Absolutely. people to pick something up. Absolutely. And, and playing on that experience part is so important. And I think that's what people don't think about sometimes, whether you're a brand or you're a content creator or neither, and you're just at your job experience is so much and such a big part of how we live. You know, that's what you remember. You remember the experience you had on a vacation or the experience you had using a new shampoo and how it made you feel afterward or the experience you had at a job, even, you know, how a boss made you feel or how you felt supported by a coworker, like experience is everything. And I try to look at it through that lens often. Yeah. That's so cool. So whenever I'm thinking about just all the things that go into either the corporate world, which I've been a part of, or, um, your kind of a part-time job, which I've also had to working <laughs> from home. <laughs> I'm like realizing how many different things I've done, but there's so many questions that can go into it. And so many scenarios that you're like, I wish someone would just tell me how to do these things. I wish someone would tell me how to handle a job interview or how to X, Y, Z, you know, pick, pick a scenario in any scenario, especially in those twenties. Yes. I feel like that's like the hardest time to figure out because it's like life is just one big question mark and you're trying to decide in that question mark, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I'm pressure, right? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so I'm thinking about um, the person because this was a directly a question from Instagram. How do you know when to move on when approached by another opportunity you didn't expect? So you're in a job and you may be cruising along, but then all of a sudden, and you actually did this, this happened to you. I remember this actually happening in real time. So I'm excited to hear your answer. So how do you know when to move on when approached by another opportunity you didn't expect? Sure. So one thing that I have always thought through is that the, you know, the, the expression everyone uses that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but sometimes it is right. Sometimes other people are watering their grass more and it, and it is better, <laughs> but yeah. how do you, how do you know when it is going to be better? And the answer is that you really don't. So the way I try to think of it is what are the opportunities at either place? So if I'm in my current role and it's a company that I love, that is investing in me, I'm still finding growth and development and I'm passionate about the work that I'm doing. If another job comes along and doesn't necessarily check all of those boxes too, or seem like it would, but it's way more money, that can be really tempting, but money's not everything. And going back to the experience part of what I was talking about, more money for a terrible experience is typically not a great combination the equation doesn't work out. You think that it will, but it doesn't balance itself. So I try to look at what am I going to get out of this next opportunity that I am not getting or cannot get in this current role? Can I instead see, oh, they're offering ABC development package. Can I go to my current employer and ask for an opportunity to seek development or training in these areas? And then if you get to a point where you feel like, 
you've kind of reached your ceiling of growth potential here, even if you love the people you work with, I think that's when it's time to consider your other options and maybe entertain this other opportunity because you may not know what growth potential you have if you don't, if you don't try it out. And I think a lot of people get so bogged down by, you know, the idea that the millennials created this job hopping lifestyle where every 18 months to three years, you're getting a new job. And I really don't buy into that. I don't think it matters. I think you can change a job every two years if you want to, as long as you're continuing to grow and provide value to the companies that you are joining. I think the loyalty to an employer that we saw in our parents' generation and even Gen X to an extent is not really there anymore. Companies need resources as people and people need companies as their income provider. And it's even better if you can find a place to work and provide for yourself that you enjoy. I don't feel like I owe a company five years of my life just because I got a job. They would replace me the next day if something were to happen. So I think people get a little hesitant and scared to go after things they're passionate about because they have this false sense of, well, I haven't been here long enough. If you're not, if you're not getting what you need out of a job, I think that's when it's time to look too. I think that's a good point. The loyalty piece is such um, a loud voice in our mind sometimes whenever we are thinking about leaving and we're like, oh, but I haven't, uh, I don't know, done my time here or whatever. And but you're right in that if a company, you know, saw another, a different opportunity that was better for them, they would replace you, honestly. And it's that whole thing. It's not personal. It's business. Like we're, it is for Absolutely. you too. Absolutely. You should always look at it as a business arrangement. Even if it's your father-in-law, it's still your business and your livelihood and your future wealth and your future, if you choose to have children, your future family that you are providing for, or even just yourself, you're building your, your life goals. And that has little to nothing to do with the company you work for. Yeah. Um, You mentioned like reaching your ceiling at a place and it's a rogue question, but I was wondering if you knew of any signs? Like if someone's like, how do I know if I'm reaching my ceiling, what does that look like? Do you have any signs of that? that they yeah. I, I think when you start to feel the symptoms of burnout, you're definitely needing to make a change and you're, you're not always burned out when you've reached your ceiling. I think a ceiling can be where you are continuing to provide additional growth to the company and they're no longer willing to pay you fairly for the additional business that you're bringing in or the additional Mm. contributions that you're making. So you can reach a financial ceiling if they then are unwilling to continue to accommodate your needs. But then from a potential ceiling, I think you can get to a point where, you know, sometimes at a lot of small companies, they say, you know, there's just not a position for you to grow into. We're unwilling to give you additional responsibilities we're unable to provide you with the development that you need. They may not have anyone more senior to you that can help train you. They may not have the budget to invest in um, conferences, training tools for you. And even if you care deeply about those people, if you're not growing, you are losing, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I, th- I think of growth quite literally kind of like a muscle. Um, so if you think about working out, if, if you're trying to grow and strengthen your muscles, 
you're going to, you're going to work them out. You're going to flex them. You're doing all these things to stretch yourself. But the minute you stop, your muscles are atrophying. And I think that's the same with growth and professional development. If you're not actively working on it, you're losing it. You're losing your edge. You're not going to be as sharp, which constantly growing and learning is not everyone's demo. Not everyone wants to know the next greatest thing in their industry, but a lot of people do. And I think those are usually the people who are wondering about if they've reached their ceiling or not. So when you start to feel uncomfortable and like you're wearing like a jacket, that's just like a little bit tight, you're doing the same thing every day. You're frustrated that you're not getting more exposure. That's when I think when the tightness settles in, that's when I feel like it's time to start looking to, it could be internally or externally, but you're ready to grow. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. I like that. Um, visual because I'm thinking back on like a time that I knew that I was hitting my ceiling because while I was pursuing, you know, um, opportunities in the workplace, I was also being discouraged from those things. Right. And I was just like, um, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> right. And, and sometimes you just have really terrible managers too. Right. I think yeah. that unfortunately, a lot of people who are talented and good at what they do are put into management positions because they've excelled in their careers, but being good at something doesn't mean you're good at leading or teaching others to do that. And you can be good at something and be insecure and discourage your team because you're concerned they may be trying to take some of your work. And, and I think it's, it's important to remember that managers are just people. And that if you have a bad experience with a manager or you're being discouraged, that has usually nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with them as people. So look for someone who's going to invest and pour into you just as much as you're looking to invest and contribute to the company. That is a huge, 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 huge thing. I could not echo that louder because it's so true and so good. Y'all, I started taking apple cider vinegar shots when I lived in New York City because I heard about all the health benefits. But we all know, and if you don't, you're blessed. The taste is always miserable. Taking ACV shots is not a fun experience, but I really wanted all the benefits from ACV, um, just with a better taste. So I partnered with Goalie Gummies, and I'm so pumped about this because I actually take these gummies all the time. They have some incredible health benefits that um, are in line with ACV, like appetite control and weight loss. They lower blood sugar levels, improves your immune system. I mean, all kinds of awesome things. But then with these gummies, it's actually even better than traditional ACV because they're infused with superfoods like pomegranate and beetroot and enriched with vitamins. So they're safe for the tooth enamel, which cannot be said about traditional ACV. Use code AinsleyB at checkout for a discount on your order of goalie gummies. Let me know what y'all think too. One of the other questions, and I'm going a little bit out of order from what I sent you, but it kind of flows better if I ask this next one. It's what can someone do to make themselves more marketable if they want to leave their job and do their own thing? So same idea of like, you know, when to move on, but different pivoting to another company versus do their own thing. Yeah. If you want to do your own thing, what I think is important to make sure you're able to highlight is what transferable skills you have for this new thing you want to do. If you've been, you know, say you're like me and you've been working for large corporations doing marketing planning and you want to start your own local event planning company, 
while you may have not worked in event planning for the past 10 years, you have a lot of planning skills and understanding of crowds and events and what needs to be done to talk about them and highlight them. Make sure you're capturing those skills that you have that are a reason why you're going to be good at this. And you've got them highlighted with past examples of work. And then if you can start to do some of these things, um, on your own and really showcase them. So see if you can find someone to take pictures for you of, I'm going to keep going down the same example of an event you've helped with or offer to shadow an event um, to another planner so that you can start to get some things in your book or we'll call it a resume, but your, um, you know, your portfolio, depending on what kind of business you want to be in, just start to capture examples so that when you go to get your first piece of business, you have something to show for it. That's not just trust me. I'm just passionate about it. I really want to do this because when it's you, not only are you asking for people to, you know, use you, but you want people to invest in you specifically your services. So it's not like you're selling on behalf of your company at work and you have a sales quota you have to meet. They're literally paying you for your expertise. So give them something to show why you're worth the investment and why you would be a better choice than someone else. I think people get a little scared to say like, oh, well, I've never done this before. There's nothing I can put on here to show them. And they're not thinking of all the soft skills or even hard skills from their job that they really have done this before, just maybe not on their own individually. But I can think of 20 things that most people have done that somewhat relate to, you know, their new job, even if it's something less traditional. Say you're leaving your corporate job because you're passionate about food and you want to go start a food truck on your own and you want people to help you do that. In most cases, if you've had a corporate job, you know how to work cross-functionally with teams. So you're able to find suppliers and plan what you need and start to allocate your resources and understand what you're going to need to buy in terms of materials. Like there's all kinds of things that you really know how to do. Just put them on paper so that you can tell somebody else that you know how to do them and that they should trust you with their X, Y, Z or whatever your business is. Yeah. Every time I think about like um, the skills that you know, you learn on a job or whatever, I always go through like the day, what does the day in your life look like? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? So you can kind of write those things down. And it really makes you realize, oh, I'm doing a lot more than yeah, I think I am. Yeah. I'm more Absolutely. skilled than I, than I think I am. I'm more um, versatile than I think I am because these are things that I'm doing and exactly how you're talking about, like how these things transfer is, more helpful than you think, or, you know, you're doing more than you think in general. Absolutely. And it makes it easier to quantify too, right? Of, well, because I'm doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, sometimes, you know, however many letters you need, mm-hmm. that comes with the price tag too. You have True. years of experience and expertise here. Price yourself like, like you deserve it. Yeah. And raise your prices every year, at least. If not, that. depending on, you know, how many projects you have in a year or whatever. Totally. The experience, as your experience grows, raise your prices. I think that, that was, that's something I get nervous to do. So if anybody else <laughs> has that, I, I give myself a rule that I have to raise my prices every year because that's a whole year's worth of work. Yeah, it's a whole year's worth of work that you've fine. done. It accounts for inflation. There's all other kinds of things that people myself included. Sometimes I get nervous to, you know, raise a price on something. What if, what if they don't want to like, and if someone's not willing to pay the prices you're asking for they're not the right customer for you and you will find them. It doesn't mean that your prices are too high. Right. 
it means that just it's either they're not the right fit or not the right time or whatever. It's on them. Yep. Don't get discouraged. It's not you. It's them. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say that uh, this person going in the same vein of um, wanting to leave their job, do their own thing. Maybe it's social media. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's go down that example rabbit hole. Um, because one of the questions was top (laughs) monetization strategies you recommend when building a social media platform. Yeah. So I think when starting out, um, there are some basics that you can cover, um, depending on your niche or, you know, subject matter that you talk about will vary a little bit, but I would absolutely make sure that you're joining some affiliate groups so that when you're linking out to things or you're sharing resources that you can earn small commissions and kind of what I call keep the lights on money. So yeah. you've got a, a, a flat line coming in of, you know, a smaller amount. And then I would focus on when you're looking at monetizing, make sure that you have content you're passionate about first and that you're not just making content that you think will get you paid. Um, I, I think that that comes through in the authenticity factor. If all of a sudden you're doing this, that, and the other, and talking about these products that you wouldn't necessarily like to monetize, um, your audience will understand that. But that aside, I think um, there are some great resources when you're first starting to join, um, like um, aspire IQ or hashtag paid or some of these other groups where you can basically sign up to be selected for partnership opportunities mm-hmm. and get a few of those under your belt where companies and brands can see how you have worked with sponsored posts and opportunities before. I've found those to be the most lucrative for me when I'm working directly with brands on developing content to teach my audience about. And I am now thankfully at a point where brands reach out to me often, or I'll reach out to brands directly. And I'm relying less on those groups that kind of aggregate brand information for you. But um, partnerships are where I suggest you focus um, and really building deep relationships with those brands. So they'll want to work with you again. But my, just to go back and, you know, not be too much of a Debbie Downer, but if you're Working in social media just to monetize it, I think it's the wrong field. And I would first focus on making sure it's content you enjoy that your audience will enjoy because doing it just to make money is exhausting. It 100%. That is the best word for it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no amount of money that, well, maybe there is an amount, but there's no amount of money that I've made so far that would make doing this if I didn't like it worth it. Yeah. Anytime that I start to think about like, how can I monetize this thing? It gives me so much anxiety. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I just have to just do it. Yeah. I just have to make it. Absolutely. Because there are a ton of other things you can do to monetize your content, right? You can create Patreon groups. You can have eBooks. You can have a course someone can download. You can yep you know, do things like you do, have a podcast where people put ads on it. There are lots of strategies you can deploy, but I would first focus on the, the core fundamentals of your business and what you're looking to do and who you're looking to reach. And then the path you go down to turn that into a profitable business will make itself a bit more clear. Yes. Yes. And amen. <laughs> Love it. 
And you actually turned me on to those, um, to the groups or agencies to help partner the influencer with the brand and um, soapboxes, I think the one that yeah is my favorite, honestly. I think soapbox is my favorite and um, I've yeah. been able to kind of keep that relationship with them going long-term, which is so much more of a relief, I guess, than having to repitch yourself over and over and over. Right. Again. They, they know things. who you are. And I, and I think that's great. They know who you are. They know what to expect, what kind of content you create, the quality of it. And then they feel good about recommending you to brands mm-hmm. versus you having to just cold email people all the time. And I love Soapbox. They're actually headquartered in the town where I live. So I luckily get to spend um, a lot of time with the people over there. They're great. Yeah. Um, Okay. So hard right turn to (laughs) motherhood and work. Yep. Um, The last question that I have for you is what are your tips for balancing work and babies? So my answer might surprise you. I do not think you can balance work and babies. Mm -hmm. I do not believe in the balance. Um, There is, there's an idea that author Nora Roberts shared that has resonated with me strongly um, over the years that I've had kids, which is almost five years now. Wow. Um, Almost five years of working and having kids at home. And the idea is that of um, having two different kinds of balls. So you have plastic Mm. balls and you have glass balls. And when you throw a plastic ball in the air and don't catch it, it's going to bounce and you can, it'll roll somewhere and you can go pick it up. No harm, no foul, no big deal. If you throw a glass ball in the air and don't catch it, it's going to shatter. And then you've got a mess and you're going to cut your feet and you're going to cut your hands trying to clean it up and you have to sweep it. And it's like, it can be a pretty big problem depending on the size of the ball. So I think that in your life, you're going to have some things with your babies and your kids that are glass balls and some that are plastic, just like with work, there will be glass balls and there are plastic. So I try to look at each day of what are the balls that I have in the air today? What are the things that if they drop, it's okay. They're going to bounce and roll into tomorrow and I'll pick it up again. What are the ones that I'm going to drop and they're going to shatter and it's going to have long-term implications. So I used to get really overwhelmed and full of anxiety. I would look at my to-do list for a day and be like, I have six meetings. I have all this work I have to do outside of the meetings. I have a doctor's appointment for my son. And then my other son has the class party. And then I was supposed to go see a friend tonight and there's no, no way I can do all of it. So I would shut down and just, I'm not going to do any of it. I can't get any of it done. And now I can look at that and say, okay, I have a meeting that was going to overlap with my son's doctor's appointment. It took me three months to get this doctor's appointment. I'm going to skip the meeting because that one's not as important. Or if it is an important meeting, say, Hey, this meeting is really important to me that I'm able to attend this. I have to be at my son's doctor's appointment. I need to reschedule. And most people are typically pretty understanding of those things. When you position them as it's something that's important to you that you need to address. I never apologize for having children and needing to do things for them. And I think it's hard to do, but I'm never going to say, I'm so sorry. My son is sick and I'll be taking care of him today because I'm not sorry I'm doing that. And that is yeah. a glass ball to me, um, tending to a sick child. So I think those are maybe more extreme examples, but I would, you know, take the 20 things you have to do in a day. And it can even be a helpful exercise to, to literally write them out, 
and literally write glass or plastic next to them until you get in the the muscle memory and the habit of just knowing how to allocate your day, knowing that what you can dedicate or excuse me, knowing what you can delegate at work, knowing what you can maybe delegate in your home life. Can you ask your partner to do something for you? Can somebody else at the school help you with something? Can your kid present the next week? Until you're able to just do those on the go, literally write them out in a notebook, put a G or a P next to it until you feel confident in, in how you're, you're managing your life. And if you start to realize 15 out of my 20 things today are, are G, I have all these glass things happening, then that can help you say, okay, I need to step back and kind of reformulate how I'm approaching my days right now. I'm, this is too much. I need to take some things off my plate. And I think the act of literally writing and having on a piece of paper kind of forces you to, to think through that because in your head, you can say like, oh, it's just a busy week. It's just a busy day. But when you've got it documented, it's like, this is like day 11 of having a significant amount of glass balls that are making me feel like I'm not being a great mom or not being a great employee. So the long story short of that is I don't believe in the balance. And I think it's more about integration of the two. I'm always a mom and I always have a job. They're both jobs technically, but I, it's never a, well, for 50% of the day I have a job and then I don't have to think about it anymore after work because my kids are with me where, because I, I, I've found that the idea of, well, I'll just not get on my screens for three hours and that's kid only time. It just doesn't work for me. It's not very realistic. My team at work is in California. So if I just stop looking at my phone at five o'clock, I'm missing two hours of that team's normal work day. Um, and so for me, it's more just making sure that I'm trying to be present when I can and addressing the things that are really important. It's not important that I see the fourth episode of Bluey that we've watched <laughs> on one night, you know? So I, I, I think just, just forcing yourself to look at it objectively can really help. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I like that um, how, how you're explaining your schedule or, uh, or lack thereof almost is very fluid and how mm-hmm. these things fit into your work day, not, you know, only having this nine to five hours and then sw- trying to make a switch. Right. Cause it's right. Like, it's Cause, like cause whose awesome. brain works like that. Right. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, I just won't think about the fact that I have kids or that I do this social media stuff or my house right. is a disaster because it's work time. Like who lives like that? Nobody. Right. And that's a lot of the benefit of working from home for so many people right now is that you can kind of have that fluid schedule and be like, okay, I'm going to run and go to an appointment and then I'll be back and back on emails. And you're only going for 30 minutes to an hour from your team versus cutting off a hard deadline and then missing something. Absolutely. And, And when people go back to the office, I think you just still have to be strict with your time and remember your priorities, even when you're at the office, not every workplace is supportive of, of it, but that's also an indicator to me that you've reached a ceiling with your personal life. You're at a, you're at a workplace that is not flexible enough for your needs. And that can be a good indicator that it's time to look elsewhere. Um, and then of course, you know, you have the jobs where, you know, maybe you're a nurse or you have another job where it's more shift hours and you can't just come and go as you please. And I think that's when you can start to look at too, of, you know, how can I manage the off hours that I do have? Um, You know, hopefully those are roles where you're taking less of your work home and you can focus a bit more on the other things you need to get done. But I think still prioritizing the things that have to get done in the day and having that visual list are really important. Yeah. 
Couldn't agree more. And we want to keep learning from you, all the things. So I know we already talked about it, but hanging out with you online looks like TikTok and Instagram at the corporate mama, M-A-M-A. M-A-M-A. And I think that's, that's where you are mainly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to come hang out. Um, most weekends I'll do a Saturday or Sunday submissions where we can talk about all things work, momming, parenting, work drama, work fun, all of it. Let's, yeah, let's you do hang. get good, you get good Q and A's. I think so. I, I think they're pretty, they're fun. They're really helpful. I think for good. people in general. And then I just like, I'm entertained by them because my job doesn't look like yours, but it's still a job. So sure is. Nonetheless, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me again. I'm so thrilled to be the first repeat yes. podcast guest. <laughs> you are. It's because you're the most special, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for hanging out today. I pray that you're able to see yourself how the Lord sees you so you can hold your head a little higher and shine your confidence a little brighter. I would so appreciate if you would leave a review, subscribe, and share this with a friend. And of course, I want to stay connected with you. Find me on Instagram at Ainsley B. And my website is AinsleyBritton.com. See y'all later.